The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Our guest today, Raymond O'Brien, comes from a family of seers, but that wasn't enough to set him out uh, initially on a healthy lifestyle. Despite warnings from his clairvoyant mother, Raymond died ten times in one night and has had multiple near-death experiences that ultimately proved to be spiritually transformative to his life. Raymond is a natural-born medical intuitive. Even while suffering from the after-effects of his own NDEs, Raymond continued as a diagnostic seer, became uh, trained as a counselor, and now counsels medical professionals on how to help people who've had NDEs to integrate those NDEs into their lives. Raymond is working with medical professionals in the UK and also with IONS. Welcome, uh, Raymond, welcome to NDE Radio. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for asking me. It's very kind of you. Well, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to uh, have this opportunity because I know your your story is a fascinating one. Uh, Raymond, you you said you uh, come from a family of seers. Uh, tell us a little about your granny and your mom's abilities as seers. Oh, um, granny was a very spectacular lady. She was a German Jew. Um, she um, lived in a small town called Neumünster, and um, <clears throat> people used to come and see her. If, if the doctor couldn't help you, you'd be sent to Granny's house. Uh, mm. so Granny became quite quite a popular person. Um, war broke out. Um, Granny wouldn't um, stop helping people, basically, uh, because the local police used to come to her house. They used to come and have coffee with her, and sometimes have dinner. Um, Granny was caught feeding some of the prisoners out in the fields, and um, she was caught by one of the very policemen who used to come to the house. And he turned around and said to her, if we didn't know who you were, Frau Feiler, we would have you shot. And the reason why he said that, Lee, is because I have an uncle called Heinz Ruhmann, who, if you went to Amsterdam to um, Anne Frank's house, you would find a picture of him up on the wall. And he was to us kind of a, a mini Schindler, uh, because if it wasn't for Uncle Heinz and his connections that, that he had with the uh, people in power at the time, I think many people wouldn't have survived, And in, including myself, including my mother. Um, Granny was eventually put to work uh, in, the granite mar- <clears throat> in the granite quarries with her husband, uh, he was a, he was an architect, uh, so they spent a very troublesome life. Wow. My uncle uh, committed suicide. Uh, Granny lived on, but sadly, I never had a chance to meet her. Mum was very quiet about her background. It probably it took an investigation from my sisters to find out our family history. It was it was kept that tight. Um, so all this all came about in the early eighties when I started to find out about my family history. But it, it kind of tied in with my father was in the army and he was based in the, a lovely little place called Iserland in Germany at the British army base. And uh, he met mum. They, they got married and um, I was born in Germany approximately at, at the 
shortly after I was born, actually. Uh, I, I, can you can you believe this, Lee? I actually remember being born into the maternity room, and uh, I put this to my mother a couple of years back before she passed. Mum, can you tell me was the maternity room was it a white tiled room? She looked at me with, with her eyes were like, huh? She said, do you, <laughs> she said, do you remember that? I said, yeah. I do, Mum. I remember coming out and it being very cold. Hmm. So about two or three months later, we're living in Germany. And in Germany, we have uh, cellars or basements, as you guys call them. Uh, my brother, my middle brother, Patrick, he had me in his arms and he was standing at the top of the wooden flight stairs. And I was looking up at him and bearing in mind I'm only like maybe a month or two old. And I remember him looking down at me and as I was looking up at him, and he said to me, he said, I'm going to throw you down the stairs. And I, I remember Lee looking down the flight of stairs and looking up at my brother and looking down at the flight of stairs, feeling totally helpless. Oh. The only thing that I could think about was, where is mum? And we had this telepathy where the next thing I knew, Lee, mum appeared behind my brother, Patrick. And she said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm going to throw the baby down the stairs. I said, you, you can't do that. You know? So this was the first sort of, connection of how unusual I was to turn out mm. um, so skipping forward to about the age of five was still living in Germany and in Germany after you have your Sunday meal it was a big thing to go out to these ornamental gardens which were just over the road from where we were living and I was out there walking with my mother and we stopped by an old lady who had a stoop she had a cane she had a great big black rimmed hat with a really tightly woven black veil, black gloves. And my mother stood between myself and Omar, as, as we called her. And they started arguing. And I remember observing this argument. And Omar shuffled off. And I looked at my mum and I said, what was the argument about, mum? She said, Omar said it was time for you to be taught that you were to go with her to be taught. And I remember accepting this. But my mum said, but I told Omar that I'll train you. And we kind of left it at that. So school, we moved every two years, Lee. And something that I, I remembered vividly from my primary school is we ended up in another country. And we actually came back to the UK, sorry. Mm standing at the front of the class and the teacher is looking around. She said, I'll pair you up with somebody. And as she was looking around at the class, I, my eyes fell upon this young lad. And I remember saying to myself, he's the lad who I'm going to be paired with. And then the teacher called him up and she said, this is, this is the lad you're going to be paired with. So I was already having this sight of seeing. Yes. So you, um, you resisted this ability though, you said, and, and, uh, Later on in your life, started started uh, drinking to uh, avoid it. Yeah, uh, yes, uh, I did, Lee. Um, I have an uncle called Uncle Dieter, and he spent an awful lot of time in prison. Um, he also turned into a very heavy drinker, and we couldn't really understand why. He came to visit one day. My middle brother, again, Patrick, was a, was in the army, uh, had a had a neck injury, and he was in a great deal of pain. And Dieter touched him on his neck and uh, my brother came upstairs he was all flushed in his face he went I can't believe it I can't believe it I said what's up 
he said, Dieter has just touched my neck and all the pain has gone. And it was at that moment, Lee, where I started running, um, spiritually running away, well, sorry, running away from the spiritual mm. uh, um, things that I knew were coming at me. And uh, the only way that I could drown out this, this sense of direction was to turn to alcohol and drugs. Uh, and, um, but it didn't work. It, it didn't work at all. Um, I kept seeing all the time always kept seeing um i ended up working with a, a company in in london and this is where it was all coming to a head um i was a, a gas engineer at the time we went into an old lady's flat and the lady the old lady was was 84 and uh, she knew the lady who i was working with and um the lady who i was working with asked the old lady how are you she said i've got this dreadful earache and straight away, the lady who I worked with said, well, it's, you're very lucky because we have Raymond here today and he's really good at taking pain away. So I was kind of pushed into this thing, mm-hmm. set the room up, Lee. I started working on the old lady, touched her on her ear. The pain stopped. We packed up. We went back to the van. I'm sitting in the passenger seat. The lady who I'm working with, she put her hands over the steering wheel and she said to me, flipping it, Ray. I don't know how you can do that and do your own work. And it was then when I knew that I was coming to a head with everything. It was a case of keep drinking and doing drugs or make the leap, Ray. Mm. And unfortunately, I, I chose not to take the leap. Uh, I chose to carry on, but the seeing still carried on. And eventually, I guess it wound up with... Um uh, increasing chest pain and uh, and tell tell us about that incident and and uh, your cat, Mr. Bill. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Bill, gosh, I, I, I do miss him. Um, I was working in uh, another chap's house who was a bodybuilder, and uh, at, at the time, even though I was I was drinking and smoking, I was still very much into keeping fit. And uh, I, I asked the, the guy who I was working for have you got any chest exercises? So he gives me these checks of chest exercises. And uh, I go home. This was on a Saturday. I come home and, um, sorry, on a Thursday, I came back to see him on a Friday. He said, how'd you get on with those exercises? I said, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, I've got some dreadful chest pain. He said, did you warm up? I went, no, I didn't. He swore at me. He said, you, you, should, you should do the, some warm ups. Okay. So Saturday came, Sunday came, still had the chest pain. I'm up in my sound room at the top of my garden, sitting there with my cat, Mr. B. Uh, came came to bed, uh, lay down in bed and had the most unbelievable chest pains, Lee. Hopped out of bed, did a couple of press-ups. I thought, it's this chest pain, I'll, I'll just loosen up the muscles. And, and the pain stopped. I went back to bed, lay down on my side again. Nope. I got out of bed. And I knew I was in trouble. I knew I was in real trouble. I uh, came downstairs. It was about quarter to 12 by, by this time. Hit the light and Mr. B was curled up in the corner of the settee. And he, he had this look on his face of, <laughs> I remember saying to him, I know B, I, your face says, it tells me everything. I am struggling here. And I, I picked the phone up to dial triple nine, which is our, number uh, for if, if you need medical assistance uh, I, but I only managed to hit two nines Lee, and I collapsed on, on the floor mm. and uh, the next thing I know is I've, I've got this smell 
and something's rasping my nose and it's Bill. He's, he's licking my nose. <laughs> uh, I've, I've looked at him and I'm, I'm lying on the carpet here in my front room. And because I'd saved Bill's life before, he was attacked by a dog and I beat the dogs off. And I remember when I beat the dogs off, I remember pointing my finger at Bill and I said, you owe me one. And then obviously he was paying me back for that. So I managed to hit the last nine and got through to the operator. She asked me what was the problem. I told her I had severe chest pains, couldn't breathe. So she said, just sit down, open the front door and wait for the paramedics to turn up. So it was it was about five to 12 by this time. And I could hear the ambulance off in the distance because where I live, it was quite quiet at this time of night. And uh, the next thing I was hanging on for, for grim death. It was just myself and the cat as we sat on the settee and the door opened and in walked these two angels carrying their medical equipment. And one of the guys said to me, there was a man and a woman, the guy said to me, so Ray, what's the problem? And I was gasping for breath, Lee. I said, I can't breathe. I've got the most unbelievable chest pain. So he said, we'll walk you into the ambulance. So shuffled out. I'm a 47 year old guy who's extremely fit apart from his bad habits, and, and I felt like a hundred over, over 100 years old. I shuffled into the back of the ambulance, lay down on the gurney, and there were, the male guy was the driver, and uh, the lady was called Rebecca. I'll never forget her for as long as I live. And she's standing above me, and she turned her back to me, Lee. And I couldn't take the pain before she turned her back, she said, you have to breathe, Ray. You have to breathe. Uh, she said, your oxygen levels are down to 26%. And I thought, oh, my goodness. Whoa. <laughs> what? Uh, so she turned her back. And this is, this is my character, Lee. I, I remember saying to myself, if ever there's a time to check out, Ray, now is the time. And I put my chin on my shoulders on my right shoulder and the next thing I know Lee I was in in just pure bliss um, I was a small soul a little tiny soul probably about four and a half feet in size a sexless soul uh, no clothes I remember looking down at my feet and uh, the first thing that that sort of got me was the the texture of the grass it was it felt like the softest fur and I was aware of being on the other side because I'd been on the other side before. And the reason why I say that is a, a lady who I used to live with woke up one morning and she said to me, you really scare me. And I said, why? She said, because you stop breathing and then you start again. And, and I tied it into some of the places that I had visited. But, but that's for another story. <laughs> so here I am on the other side, scrunching my toes into the most vivid green softest fur grass and then the next thing that hit me lee was the wind and it was the softest most powerful wind that went through me it, it was almost like the guardian of the other side and it immediately told me that i was accepted to be here and off in the distance was two men three women and i moved I, I don't know how I moved forward just to touch just to have a look around and I distinctly remember saying to myself I wonder where they're going to take me to give me my wings that was it was it was, it was, it was a, that was a genuine honest thought <laughs> and, 
as I'm thinking this, Lee, the first woman, the three women are standing parallel to the two men. The first woman looked at me and smiled with the most beautiful smile. And she, she stopped and she said to one of the men, Raymond's here. And at that moment, the two women have leant forward. So I've got all five beings looking at me now. And the next thing I floated over to one of the one of the men, he looked like Santa Claus, Lee, but he had a brown tanned book in his hand. And as I floated to his shoulder, I heard him say to the women, he shouldn't be here. And with the wave of a hand, I woke up in the back of the ambulance mm. and Rebecca was standing over me. And the first thing I said to her was, I'm really sorry about that, Rebecca. She said, why are you apologizing? I said, I was just on the other side there. She said, do you go on the other side a lot, Ray? I said, yeah, I come from a family of seers. I said, if you, if you want to park up, I'll make you a cup of tea and I'll tell you all about it. <laughs> and that's when Lee, she hit me with, no, Raymond, you died. And I remember thinking, hey, she said, your eyes were in the back of your head. And she reached over me and flicked uh, a red LED clock. And she said, this clock, she flicked it. And I looked at her and went, yes. She said, this clock went to zero when you died. You died at exactly 12 o'clock. She said, we're still outside your house. I'm thinking, she's got it wrong. It'll all be sorted out. It's some bad dream. Uh, and I'll wake up from it. And the next thing we took off, we took off to my hospital, my local hospital, which is probably about 10 minutes away. Um, the doors boomed open at the back of the ambulance. I uh, got bounced out the back on the back of the gurney. I could hear one of the doctors saying, male, 47 years, years old, uh, cardiac arrest. And I'm still thinking, no, she's wrong, she's wrong. I'm watching the fluorescent lights go over the top of my head and then I end up into the crash room and instead of it being the most blissful experience it turned into probably one of the most scariest traumatic things that I've ever experienced um, I, I knew what was happening I, I, I just knew there was a clock in front of me so the clock seems to play a big part there was a clock in front of me and I remember looking at the clock and it was now getting on for about 20 past 12 and a beautiful, the sweetest of sweetest Irish voices. I heard from my right-hand side, I've moved my head to my right, and it's this lovely earth angel who's looking at me, and she said, we need your next of kin's telephone number, Ray. And I looked at her, and I, and I went, am I that bad? And she said, you are. We, we, we don't know if you're going to make it. I said, well, my mother's still alive, but please don't inform her unless I don't make it. So she, we said, she said, yes, and that's when the battle commenced. That was when I went on to the other side. It was like a Christmas carol, to, to kind of put it into context. I met a guy who came from California, who I was a registered healer before I, I worked in the hospital. I used to do a lot of work with animals. I used to see a lot of things on animals. And um, it was, how can I say, Dave came over to see me from California, had a brain tumour. He'd heard about me through the Healing Trust here in the UK. The Healing Trust is a foundation which allows 
healers stroke seers to work in hospitals were actually recognized for the skills that we have can you believe mm. um and that's how he heard about me dave came to my house here he came with his lovely wife she said he had a brain tumor he's been diagnosed for such a short time to live and was there any way that i could help him survive enough while he was here back back here in the uk so we could say goodbye to his friends so i did what i was told to do with with him I didn't hear back from his wife for probably about three or four months. And she sent me the most beautiful email, very thankful. Um, she, she said, if it wasn't for me, Dave wouldn't have had the strength to say goodbye to those who he truly loved. And, uh, and it, was, it was a real pleasure. So it was this sort of seeing experience. And um, So his, his soul came to visit you while you were on the other side. Um, he came to his, his, his soul. Yes. In actual fact, he was, he was, I met him in a place called the gray. Oh, tell us about the gray. The gray was probably about the third or fourth time that I was resuscitated in the A&E room. Um, I, I'd found myself shuffling along with a, with a group of other souls. Everything was different shades of gray different contrasts there was no other color than gray and because i'm a tiny soul lee i remember looking up and i'm thinking that's that's lee and as i've looked at him i floated up and i'm floating up and i've got to his shoulder height and he's he's looked at me and he's gone ray and i've gone dave he went what are you doing here i went i don't know dave he said what 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 Santa Claus said, the guy looked like Santa. He said the exact same thing. He went, you shouldn't be here. So I'm now up at shoulder level and I can see above all of the heads of this, of this sea of people. It was almost as if, Lee, they'd left a big football match. And you know the way people shuffle along. As I seen over the, the heads of people, I'd seen the wind and it was nothing like the wind that I'd seen in, in paradise. It was a black graphite color. It was like razor wire and it was whipping across the heads of everybody. Uh, and as it whipped across, it would, it would dissolve into different flakes of, of, of black graphite specks. And I remember thinking, you have to get back. And the next thing I remember was my nose was on the ceiling tile in, in the A&E room and I came crashing back down into my body. Mm. Now, this is like a, a world of ghosts that you were visiting. I, you, you compared it to Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol? Yes, yes. Are there... And how, how long before that time had uh, Dave died? How long had he been there? Well, that's, that's a good question. Dave had been gone for at least three years. So he was stuck there, along with all those other souls. I would assume so. Yeah. How do you, what do you think about that? How do you explain that? Um, the only thing that I can... I can I'm, I'm actually frightened to, to, give, to give judgment on that, Lee, because it disturbs me. Um, I spent an equal time in both worlds. So the only, the only answer that I can give to that, it's, it's not a real answer... But the effect of that was it readjusted my spirituality um, massively. 
it mm. was this place where I, I would never want to go to again. Um, absolutely terrified me. Um, and, you know, I, I, I've led a very colourful life. Um, but that that really scared me uh, and, um, to such a degree. It, it was a profound change within me. Um, I was determined not to, I was determined not to come back and not fill my boots. You know, I couldn't go through all of this and, and just come back with, with no answers. For me, that was unacceptable. Um, so that's, that's, that's kind of how I was with that. So you were shown really the alternatives. You were shown a heaven and you were shown at least a purgatory, if not a hell. I believe that. I do believe that. Um, it's, it's, it's a a place where I don't give a lot of thought to. I I do believe that without the experience that I had, I would never have changed. Um, I believe that the reason why I was shown that was because of some of my actions. I wasn't, uh, to quote my mum, I was a vicious man and I've never forgotten that. Um, and, and and I, I couldn't disagree to be honest with you. Um, so did so, you talk to your mum later about the grey? Mum, mum knew because mum already knew that I was going to die. Um, it was probably about a week before I died. Um, um, I, I was told by the voice that I was going to die. But previous to that, I was on a job in London. And I decided that I would visit my mother and I went to visit my mother and, and she already knew she could see the direction I was going because she'd seen her brother go down the same route. And I sat at the kitchen table with her and she pointed a finger at me and she said, you need to change. And I, I chuckled. I said, why is that, mum? She said, because something bad is going to happen to you. And uh, I distinctly remember as if it was an hour ago. I suppose it'll have to be pretty bad, mum, because you know some of the things that I've been up to. And she went, don't worry, she said, it will be. Uh, so she, she knew the lesson. She, she knew what was coming at me. Um, uh, so so we, didn't, we didn't discuss, to be honest with you, it's the first time I've given it a lot of thought. It's a great question. Didn't really discuss it. Discussed a lot of it with my sister to a certain degree, uh, but not really with my mum because my mum was my teacher. Lee. So she, she already knew what was coming. Um, then, as I said, a week, a couple of days before the event, um, the voice told me that I was going to die. And then I, I rang my mother and told her about the voice. I said, Mum, I've been told I'm going to die. She went, who told you? I said, the voice. She said nothing else, Lee. Didn't say anything else after that. And that was unusual for my mum. And actually, that was the end of the conversation, the telephone conversation. Mm. Uh, and then, boom, wallop, I was, I was gone. Uh, so yeah, she she knew. Does your sister have psychic abilities, and what did she think about the grey? My sister didn't give much of a comment about the grey. Um, my sister cared for my mother in her last couple of years. Mum passed through Alzheimer's, and um, so I knew. I went into self-isolation. I, I was troubled so much by the impact of the experience that I went into self-isolation. So I lost all connection with my family. Uh, I remember one day saying to my sister on the phone, I don't love any of you. I, I, have, I have no connection with you, n- none at all. Since I've come back, I, I, it, it's gone. You know? So there was straight away, there was that distance. Um, and then I went into 
roughly five years isolation with it. Um, hardly spoke to anyone. Um, couldn't work on, on welfare, having massive psychological issues, uh, along with still having chest pains. Um, so we, we didn't talk about it too much. But in relation to my sister's abilities, I had been working on um, some horses probably about two or three months ago. And uh, I thought, now's the time to ask your sister what she had learned when she was taking care of your mum, Raymond. Because I knew my mum was still teaching her. I, I, I could see it. I, you know, it was clearly obvious to me. So I'd, I'd worked on this horse, got the correct diagnosis. And before I told my sister, I, I said, this is the horse that I'd seen. Tell me what you see. What is wrong with the horse? And, uh, you know, so she did. And, yeah, she's got it. She, <laughs> she sure has got it. Excellent. Raymond, it seems we're out of time for today, but I uh, desperately want you to come back for next week's show as well, um, if that's okay with you. Right. That's great. Thanks to Raymond O'Brien for sharing his amazing experiences with us. And Raymond will be with us on next week's show as well, so be sure to join us then. Until then, uh, all of you out there, stay well, and join us again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, uh, for more of Raymond's story and NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening. <laughs>